All right. Now I feel like I have to clear my name. Those rubber duckies were not my doing. Uh, whoever's trying to frame me, I got my eyes on you guys. Someone's trying to get me in trouble, and it's okay, though. Uh, so uh, before we dive into the actual uh, message today, I have a question I want you all to ponder for a second. And it's a fairly easy question. Some of you, uh, this answer will come very quickly. Some of you will have to think about it for a second. But I want you to think through, who are you excited to see in heaven? Who is someone you're excited to see in heaven? Now, I posed this question to a group of my youth pastor friends, and uh, like probably a few of you, you're like, Jesus. Um, and I was like, all right, yes, we're all excited to see God, Alex. Uh, but outside of that, who is someone else you are excited to see in heaven? Like I said, for some of you, this is a very easy answer because maybe you have a loved one that has recently passed away and you are just waiting for the day to see them in glory. For some of you, maybe it's a historical figure, a biblical character that you want to talk to and you want to talk about their life and about their interactions and how much they made an impact on your Christian walk. Maybe there's even a few more Christian walk. Of you. question, who are you not excited to see in heaven? Who's someone that if they walk through heaven's gate, you're like, oh no, God, did, did you see that? <laughs> you let him, him in? Some of you are looking at me like, Jeremy, you can't talk about that from stage. Yes, I had someone come to mind, but you can't, you can't talk about that up on a stage like this. So let's, let's take it back one notch. Who would it be that if they came through these doors right now, would change your entire morning. And you'd be like, oh no, they're here. How could they come to my church? How dare they step foot in my church right now? Because the reality is, there are several of you in this room that have been deeply hurt by people. Maybe it's an ex-spouse who cheated on you. Maybe it's a parent or a guardian that hurt you in ways that I can't even fathom. Maybe it's that boss that, for lack of a better term, is just a complete jerk and has overlooked you for that promotion that you've deserved for years. Maybe for some of you, it's that person that cut you off on your way into church this morning. And as you're driving on Tollgate, you're like, don't turn left. Please don't turn left. Just keep going straight. Don't turn left. And as they kept going straight, you're like, phew. Oh, man. That was a close one. Okay, we can go worship God now. We're good. We're good. I don't have to interact with them. It's, it's okay. Today, we're going to talk about those people and our attitude towards those people. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I do thank you that your word is true. That, Lord, we don't just come here to hear a good message. We don't come here to feel better about ourselves. But, Lord, that we came here this morning to be challenged. 
to grow deeper into this relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for the times that we let ourselves get in the way of that relationship. Pray for the times that we let our selfishness, our greed, our bigotry get in the way of what you're doing in the lives around us. So Lord, help us come to you open-handed today, ready to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. I pray this in your name. Amen. As Gary said, we're going to talk about a character in the Bible today whose name is Jonah. In my research of this, I, I came across that Jonah is one of the top ten most known stories, not just in the Bible, but in all of history. The story of Jonah is the, one of the most known stories throughout all of history, and most of us know this story because it involves a really big fish. But today, we're not actually going to talk about the big fish that much. Because this story is so much more than a story about a fish, but it's a story about how God uses the unusable. So before we dive into the story of Jonah, I want to give some pretext to this story. First, I want to talk about this character named Jonah. And I didn't know this until I was doing the research for it, but not even amongst Christian groups, there are people that don't think this is a historical story. Some people believe that's just a tall tale, a story that is used for an illustration that it didn't actually happen. And I'm here to tell you that this was an historical event in history. Jonah was a real-life person who lived and breathed on this earth. And we know that for several reasons. One, there's an entire book of the Bible called the book of Jonah. Four chapters long, really easy to read, that it talks about Jonah's life in ministry. And this book isn't written like a poem or as a tall tale, but is given to us as an historical document. The second is in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. Jonah is called out. Jonah is known as being a prophet during this time and in this region. So a book that talks about the history of Israel and the history of kings and God's people, Jonah is a character that is listed. And then a few hundred years after Jonah was on this earth, there was a guy that was kind of a big deal. His name was Jesus. And he talks about Jonah. In Luke 11, verses 29 through 32, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 41, Jesus is telling a story, and he says, remember Jonah to a group of people. So not only is this a historical event, but it was a well-known historical event that people could look back to and know who Jesus was talking about. Second thing I want to talk about is where? This place called Nineveh. If you've seen Veggie Tales, you know that Nineveh is a place that people slap each other with fish. And that's all we really need to know about it. No. Nineveh was a major historical city during this time because Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. One of the greatest world powers to ever exist. Nineveh was its capital city. At one point, uh, the Assyrian Empire reached from Egypt all the way through the Mediterranean up to modern-day Europe. 
and all throughout Asia Minor. This was a massive kingdom. And the Ninevites were known for their brutality and their wickedness. Nineveh was one of the first civilizations to impale soldiers and put their bodies on the outer gates. They were one of the first civilizations to fillet people alive. They were known not just in biblical stories, but in world history for their wickedness. And because of that, God tried to get Nineveh's attention several times. In 17, or 765 B.C., God sent a plague to Nineveh. Five years after that, he sent a massive earthquake that devastated the region. Two years after that, God sent another plague. And when they still weren't giving their attention to God, God finally called out one of his people, Jonah, and said, go to Nineveh and tell them that they have to stop. So now that we know the who and the where, let's talk through the story of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, God says, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, for they have sinned against me. When Jonah heard that, he fled to Tarshish. See, Jonah didn't even want to try to argue with God. He just said, I don't want a part of this. I'm going in the complete opposite direction. Jonah gets down to Tarshish. He talks to the people there, and he says, you guys won't believe this. God wants me to go and tell the people of Nineveh that they have sinned against him, and I'm not doing that. I'm going to just hang out here for a few days. We can just hang out, and it'll be great. And a few days after that, Jonah is sitting on the beach of Tarshish, and he looks up in the sky, and a massive fireball comes down out of the sky and coming down to the earth. There is a great earthquake when the Rock impacted the earth, and the ground shook, and Jonah just stood there and smiled and said, finally, they got theirs. I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. I lied to you. That is not a true story. See, that's what Jonah wanted to happen. That's what Jonah wanted to happen. But see, that story doesn't involve a fish, so it definitely couldn't have been the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah goes that God told him, get up, go to the city of Nineveh, for they have sinned against me. Jonah gets on a boat to go to Nineveh, and there was a great storm, and so God sent a mighty fish to swallow him up and bring him the rest of the way. The fish spit him up on the shore, and Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh, and he tells him, this is how much God wants you to know this, that God sent a giant fish to bring me to you because he wants you to know that he wants a relationship with you. So repent from what you're doing and turn to him. And the entire country turns to God and says, we want to follow after him. And Jonah celebrates with the city of Nineveh and gives thanks to God. God, thank you for working this incredible miracle. These people that were my enemy are now my friend. I'm sorry I did again. I lied to you. That's not, that's not what happened either. It's not often a pastor will come up and lie to you twice. It's very seldom a, lie, a pastor would tell you they lied to you twice. But I promise I won't do it again. Because I'm actually going to read from the Word of God now. And this is also to encourage you. Don't just take my word for it. 
Go home later. Like I said, Jonah is only four chapters long. Read this for yourself. See that what I'm speaking now is truth. Those other stories, lies. This is the truth. Verse 2, God says, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh. Preach against it, because their evil has come before me. Jonah got up and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Verse 6 talks about a great storm did come, and the people on the boat knew that it was because a God was angry at someone on the boat. So finally, Jonah fetches up and says, I'm the reason that God sent this storm. I fled from God. God called me to do something, and I chose not to do it. Throw me overboard. After a little while, the people on the boat finally gave in, and in verse 15 it says, and they tossed him overboard. For Jonah, this would surely mean he would die. I've seen movies like The Perfect Storm and know that in a storm like that, it didn't end well for George Clooney's character. But the rest of verse 15 says, once he was tossed into the water, the seas were silent. If I was one of those men on the boat, like I said, I would think I'm throwing someone to their death. And then all of a sudden, if the seas became silent, I'd be like, he's alive. This is great. Yay. And then a giant fish came and swallowed him whole. <laughs> See, I've also seen movies like Jaws to know that if someone gets eaten by a fish, they're not coming back. Jonah was as close to literal death as one could possibly get. So chapter 2 is his prayer to God from inside the belly of the fish. Picking up in verse 6. I sank to the foundations of the mountain. The earth gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Verse 9, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you with my voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill my vow. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God had that whale spit Jonah up on the shore. And again, God says to Jonah, go and tell Nineveh that they have sinned against me. Jonah goes to the city and tells him, in 40 days, God is going to destroy you all. Something amazing happened. It says, from the greatest to the least, Everyone turned to God. Tells us later in chapter 4, 120,000 people repented and gave their lives to God. And because of that, God did not destroy Nineveh. God showed his mercy and his grace to the people. When I was thinking of how much is 120,000, because that's kind of a big number. I was like, 
Let, let's see what it is in our area. 120,000 people in our area would include all of Groton, all of New London, all of Ledger, all of Waterford, all of Niantic, all of Montville, and all of East Lyme. Total. Imagine if you woke up tomorrow and you heard everyone in the surrounding towns from us said, I no longer want to live for me, I want to live for God. In the New Testament, it talks about the, the proclaiming of the gospel, and it says 3,000 came to the Lord, 5,000 came to the Lord. 120,000 people came to the Lord. I really wish the story ended here. Jonah's chapter 1 through 3 would be a great story for us but it doesn't end there. Chapter 4 starts with, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He cries out to God and he says, God, this is, this is why I didn't even want to do this in the first place. I knew that you would be merciful. I knew that you would forgive him. See, Jonah didn't not want to go to Nineveh because he feared for his life. He didn't think that they would harm him. They didn't, Jonah didn't even think that they wouldn't listen to him. He knew if they heard the word of the Lord, they would turn to him. And I don't want them to know God's mercy. I'm so glad we're not like Jonah. I'm so glad we don't hold grudges. I'm so glad that we don't have people in mind that we wouldn't want to see in heaven. Because that's not the relationship I want to have with God. I don't want God to have to swallow me by a great fish so I do what he wants me to do and then still throw a tantrum like a toddler when God is merciful and gracious to others. But we do that. It reminds me of a story. I, I was getting together with a friend of mine named Hudson, and I want to take a, a little tangent from this story uh, to share something else with you guys. We'll get back into my conversation with Hudson in a second. I grew up with two best friends, Hudson and Josh. We grew up in middle school together. We went to the same school, same high school. We went to the same youth program, same church. Here's a picture of us in middle school. Our youth leader took us to Six Flags. And what was so great about my relationship with these two men is what God's still doing in our lives today. Here's a picture of us just a few years ago. Hudson, who's wearing the hat, has been a pastor in Quebec for the last 10 years. My friend Josh in the middle is a missionary over in the Middle East, in a country that if people knew that he was a Christ follower, it could cost him and his family their lives. And what's so special about this friendship is the impact our parents had on where we are today. See, because for all of our families, we didn't just attend church. Our parents demonstrated for us what being a part of a church family looked like. 
We didn't just come to church and sit in the seats. My parents showed us what it meant to serve the body of Christ, to host Bible studies in small groups, to be active in a devotional life. Our parents demonstrated for us what a relationship with Christ could and should look like. So parents, grandparents in the room, if you want your kids to take their faith seriously, live out a serious faith that they can look at and say, I want to have a relationship with God like that. I want my walk with the Lord to look like that. Surround yourself with other adult figures in their lives so that they can point to multiple people and say, that's what it really means to follow after God. Because the reality is, they are the future of the church. And you don't know what kind of impact spiritually they'll have. So like I said, Hudson and I were getting together and we do what people in ministry do, we complain. We were talking about situations, this was two years ago, so it was right at the start of COVID and politics, and he was just talking about this interaction he had with one person in his church, and he was just getting really annoyed with how many times this man said, I have the right to do this. I have the right to my viewpoints. I have the right to tell people what they're doing is wrong. I have the right to live my life this way. And finally, Hudson said, I got to the point that I stopped him. I said, excuse me, have you died today? And he wasn't being sarcastic by any means. He was asking them, have you chosen to die today? Because the Bible actually makes it very clear that that's what being in a relationship with Christ, costs. Throughout the New Testament, we're constantly reminded we are called to die to ourself, to forfeit our rights for this relationship with him. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, present your bodies as a holy sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your true act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul reminds us, anyone who is found in Christ then is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Jesus even talks about this cost in Matthew chapter 16. Verse 24 says, Jesus said to his disciples, anyone then who wants to follow me must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Church family, I want to remind you 
that Jesus made this call before he died on a cross. Before he was beaten for our sake. Before he was betrayed by the ones closest to him. And died for your and for my sins. Jesus said, if you truly want to follow after me, you have to take all your rights, all your hopes, all your desires, and say no. You have to take up your cross and follow me. That's the kind of relationship I want with Christ. One that I get out of the way enough so that God has full reign. And it's his glory being revealed in me, not anything of my own. That's why I love today's Baptism Sunday. Because that's what we're demonstrating out there. We have a group of individuals that are going to come up today and say, I've decided that I no longer want to live for myself. I've made a commitment in my life that it's no longer about me. It's no longer about what I want and what I need. It's about being in a relationship with Christ, and I want the world to know that. Because, see, we don't just come here on Sunday mornings. We don't just want to be good. We want it to be not us, but Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that, Lord, you use the unusable. You use us even when we don't want to be used. When we allow our selfishness, our pride, our thoughts, our desires to get in the way, Lord, you use us. So Lord, as we're about to witness people outwardly proclaim that they want to follow after you with everything they have, let us join in that celebration. But Lord, help us not to view this as a one-time decision, but help us each and every day to wake up and say, Lord, it's not about me. Lord, put aside myself. Let me fully die to me so that you can live in me. I pray this in your name. Amen.